This episode is brought to you by Mountain Sea Media. I spend half my life near the Pacific Ocean and the other half in the mountains. These places are full of profound stories and experiences that guide my life even now as a media creator and beer professional. This is what gave birth to Mountain Sea Media, the stories that impact our lives and give meaning to our business. Stories share good experiences and the warmth of friends. They improve business by sharing these experiences and connecting deeply with our customers. If you'd like to connect better with your customers through copywriting and storytelling, contact me at jeremy at mountainseamedia.com. It's your story. I'll help you tell it. Welcome to episode 49 of Good Beer Matters. If you're in the craft beer world or you're, you know, you're obsessed with beer flavor and all that, you understand that there's no one thing as, you know, one thing such as beer. Within that glass is art and science and history, culture. Uh, you know, it's just such a transportative um, beverage. When it comes to tasting beer, the most important thing we need to decide is, do we like it, yes or no? But for those of us who want to take it to the next level, we need to decipher what we are tasting, where those flavors come from, and how to pair them to create the best flavor synergy. This is what brewers, beer judges, and Cicerones spend their lives focused on. As you can imagine, this is a complex issue that requires education, experience, and focus. My next guest has not only literally mastered this, but he has drawn from his experience in the world of wine and beer to create a wealth of resources to teach the rest of us how to taste beer like a master. My name is Jeremy. I'm a certified Cicerone, BJCP judge, IBD certified brewer, and a beer writer. I believe the art, the science, and the culture of beer has more of a profound effect on us than we realize. I believe there's a world of wisdom found in every glass, and I intend to get to the bottom of it. This is Good Beer Matters. These are the stories of us, of great food and the beer that brings it all together. I hope you enjoy episode 49 of Good Beer Matters with Master Cicerone and Certified Sommelier, Rich Higgins. Actually, a wine sommelier as well. It's a very, very uh, cool uh, combination. Um, uh, Rich, thank you so much for coming on to the Good Beer Matters podcast. Yeah, you got it. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. Appreciate it. Yeah, I've, uh, like I mentioned to you, uh, I've, I've been really uh, looking forward to talking to you for a while because you have a a little bit different take on the um, on the the on on how to taste beer, and you're kind of borrowing the best of the wine world and putting it in with the beer world. So. Um, yeah, that's right. But but before we dive into that part of the story, will, will you just kind of give a quick little intro and, and tell us about your uh, background? Uh, yeah, cool. So, uh, yeah, I am just completely flat out in love with beer. And uh, it's uh, it's been a love affair about, I don't know, 25 years or so, a little longer than that maybe. And um, I was a home brewer for a while. I homebrewed in college and uh, started out um, – being a, a city planner, and then I left uh, city planning because I realized I really cared a little bit more about beer than I did about uh, you know proofreading zoning ordinances and things like that. 
So um, moved to San Francisco, started um, uh, as an assistant brewer at um, a couple different pubs in San Francisco, and then uh, kind of rose up through the ranks. Eventually ended up spearheading, uh, opening up a new spot called Social Kitchen and Brewery. This was back in 2010. I left in 2012, and the guy I hired uh, made the place a whole lot more famous. He, he won a couple uh, uh, golds at GABF, and he also is credited with um, – being the inventor, at least the co-inventor of the brute IPA style. Oh, so, that's right. Tangent, uh, yeah, about Kim Sturdivant um, and Social Kitchen and Brewery. Anyway, so yeah, I bounced around to a few different spots in um, in San Francisco in the brewing scene, and uh, along the way, I uh, got obsessed with um, talking about beer and uh, pairing it with food, and got sick of going to all these restaurants in San Francisco that had, you know, really some of the world's best food and world's best wine and cocktails that just all had the same sort of four four uh, beer list. Uh, it was pretty depressing. So I started consulting with restaurants on the beer program. And along the way, um, ended up uh, passing uh, a few different levels of the Cicerone exams and finally made it uh, up to the master level. So very happy about that. But um, what, the way I like to frame it is that it is uh, proof that I know how to learn about beer. Um, it doesn't mean I know everything about beer. There's a lot to, a lot to learn, and I'm constantly studying beer and constantly trying to learn from other people about it. Um, so yeah, it's really a lifelong journey that I like to share with folks. Yeah, uh, you. I'm only a certified Cicerone. Of course, you're a master. Um, but yeah, there, exactly. there are sure. times I feel like I've forgotten more about beer than I learned to begin with. Uh, do you ever have those days? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's humbling sometimes when you're talking about beer and you realize, wait a second, I don't actually know this like basic tenet that you know that I'm leading toward. Like, why haven't I ever examined this? Like, you know. I'm still iffy on, like, why the pH of uh, beers is adjusted when you add wheat. Like, why is that? You know, wheat actually makes a beer slightly more tart or slightly more acidic than than a non-wheat beer, you know, than an all-barley beer. So I still don't know that. You know, there's just all these things where it's like, God, why did I never learn that? And then I got to go chase it down, track it down, and figure it out. Well, usually my uh, my moments of humble pie are when I taste a new beer and I, I look it up and I read about it and there's some hop that I've never even heard of. So I go look it up and yeah. it's it's a hop that has like, like uh, I, I looked up recently like Polaris and it was, and they put it in there right. to be very, very uh, um, a noble hop like, but a lot more mint into it. And, and I was like, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it just... It's one of those moments where it's like, oh man, here I thought I was getting pretty good at this beer knowledge thing, but here comes something else that's like, nope, you got a lot more to learn. Yeah, you can't know it all, and uh, the big thing for me is just falling in love with with this stuff. I keep saying, I keep going back to falling in love with it. But the idea is that the more you enjoy beer, the more you enjoy tasting it, the more you enjoy learning about it too. And so for me, yeah, it really is just a lifelong passion of learning more and more about beer. Absolutely. Uh, now, uh, to kind of continue on uh, your story, so you're a brewer, you're a master Cicerone, um, and it, uh, did I did I read correctly, you're also a beer sommelier? Uh, I'm a, a wine sommelier. I'm a, a certified sommelier um, in the Court of Master Sommeliers, um, and that really came about because uh, I wanted to, basically, I, I realized the more I learned about beer, the more I liked it, and I already liked wine, but I wanted to figure out even more about it, so I... And I'm studying um, a lot about wine. San Francisco is obviously a good place, um, you know, for for camaraderie in the wine and hospitality businesses. Uh, so I had a lot of friends who were psalms, you know, working on the floors of restaurants. And, um, you know, we'd always sit down and chat about the differences between beer and wine and a lot of the uh, similarities, too. And um, ended up, yeah, I ended up 
you know, studying wine and passing uh, two different sommelier exams, one with the quartermaster sommeliers uh, as well as the, uh, the other one with the North, uh, North American Sommelier Association. Uh, the acronym for that is NASA, so I like the idea that I uh, have some sort of accreditation with NASA. Um, <laughs> nice. Anyway, anyway, so, uh, yeah, they, they have a couple different, um, you know, wine tasting methods. Uh, the North American Sommelier Association is different than the quartermaster psalms, and if any of your listeners have uh, watched the documentary Psalm on Netflix, they should be familiar with, uh, with uh, the, the pressure of all these uh, psalms who are studying for the exam, um, going through their, uh, their tasting notes on, on a glass of wine and being able to say, you know, that, yeah, the, uh, the concentration is, uh, you know, medium plus, the, uh, you know, clarity is, is uh, star bright, you know, things like that. Um, and that methodology uh, is really useful for, for approaching wine. And so I, Wanted to um, kind of distill down the best things in both the from the North American Sommelier Association's approach as well as the Quartermaster Psalms approach, and uh, apply it to beer. So uh, that's what I that's what I've done, and it's called the deductive beer tasting method, and it's um, it's super useful. It's uh, gaining a ton of popularity, and I'm uh, I'm really happy about it. Well, and and uh, I want to dive into that next for sure, um, but a couple different little things. Um, uh, one is uh, is a beer sommelier uh, still a thing? Part of uh, is it still something that one can achieve um, separate from Cicerone, or is that mm-hmm. okay? Uh, and, and have, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, have have you also become a beer sommelier as well as a wine sommelier as well as a master Cicerone? Uh, no, I am not an official beer sommelier. So that's okay. a kind of a casual term used in the states to imply someone that. And knows a lot about beer and likes to pair it with food and things like that. Um, and it's actually a copyrighted term, uh, and it's it's, uh, it's run through the Dimmons uh, Academy, which is or Dimmons Institute, which is uh, based in Munich, Germany. Okay. So the Cicerone program developed in 2008, based out of Chicago, and then the Beer Sommelier program developed around the same time. I'm not sure, maybe 2003, uh, 2005, something like that, uh, based in Germany. And so there are a lot more beer sommeliers in Europe. A lot more cicerones in the United States, as well as Canada, Korea, um, you know, Mexico. Uh, you know, they're really increasing throughout the world at this point. But beer sommelier is more common in Europe. Interesting. Okay, and thank you for sharing that. I did not know that. Um, um, and, and I thought I thought you had gone and, and tackled that as well because you know you know kind of like a professor. It's nice to have a bunch of uh, letters after your name. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Uh, um, uh, but then, as far as uh, uh, Master Cicerone, um, what number Cicerone were you? I, you were one of the first ones to go through, if I recall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I uh, I passed in 2010 along with another guy named Dave Kale, and he's based in Chicago. So he and I kind of uh, uh, share the number two spot. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know exactly whether I'm number two or number three, but uh, regardless, we're in the second cohort. But you you were one of the first few to uh, to uh, pass the gauntlet and and kind of help create the program from there, correct? Well, yeah. So so a guy named Angel Van Till is the first guy who passed uh, the master in two thousand nine. So then Dave and I passed in two thousand ten. So we're definitely on the earlier side. Um, I haven't done a lot of work directly with the Cicerone program since passing, though. So I can't really take credit for you know, having much of a, a guiding hand in, uh, in much of the program, but, um, I've certainly, you know, stayed close with, with the, with the program and a lot of the, a lot of the masters that have passed. 
um, so we're all sort of are tied together by uh, by good beer and uh, wanted to, to drink too much and talk too much about it. Sure, and and you are uh, an ambassador, uh, kind of whether you like it or not. With uh, especially being a master, you've got a lot of eyes looking at in looking up to you right now, myself included. So. Um, yeah, well, flattery. Thank you. Um, so uh, let's talk more about your um, your marriage of wine and beer. Are uh, how many people out there are high up in the uh, wine sommelier and uh, cicerone world? Yeah, you know there are a handful. Um, I am friends with a couple master sommeliers, both of whom are certified cicerone. So you know the master sommelier within the court of master psalms. The Court of Master Sommeliers is what it's really called. They have a four-tier program um, that is really similar to the Cicerone program. So I think the Cicerone program uh, basically has, has followed that model of uh, the first level being a, uh, you know, you're, you're in the program, but you can't technically call yourself either a Cicerone or a Sommelier. But then the level two is certified, whether you're talking about certified Cicerone, certified Sommelier. Level three is advanced, whether it's Cicerone or Sommelier. And level four is master. And um, I'm the only master Cicerone with a sommelier distinction, to my knowledge, uh, so far. And then there are, I believe, only two master sommeliers with a certified Cicerone distinction. Um, but again, you know, I work with plenty of master sommeliers on a variety of projects, and um, almost all of them are very interested in beer. And they have such great palates and such great minds for you know, flavor and fermentation and things like that, that um, there's a lot of crossover. So there's there's some mutual respect there, which I which I have found and, and I really appreciate too. Well, and, and you meant, thank you for mentioning that documentary, uh, Psalm. That, uh, ironically, uh, when my wife and I first watched that documentary, I, up until that point, I had resisted um, my passion for beer and brewing and, and getting into the beer uh, world in some professional capacity. But after watching mm-hmm. that, uh, that was pretty much the catalyst that, you know, watching that movie about wine geeks made me want to go become a beer geek. And that kind of, nice. that, that was like, that was the, the beginning of the beginning. And, um, and, and so oh, here, cool. here I'm now be, because of that wine. But one of the things I loved was at, at the end of the movie, I think it was Ian Cobble uh, uh, that said something like, uh, he finally just passed his uh, master sommelier. He's like, man, I need to go have a beer. <laughs> And, that's right. That's and, right. Nice. <laughs> and it was just one of those things where you know there are times like after studying for a big beer test or a beer competition, I just want to I want to go have a nice nice uh, um, glass of white or something just to change, yeah. change things up a bit. So it, it's kind of funny how Shake that goes exactly. both ways. Um, but, yeah. Well, I, after let me, let me just tell you a quick aside. After um, I passed my well, I didn't know if I'd pass a master exam or not because it takes a few weeks to get the, the results back. Um, but after I, uh, taken it and I did take it twice, I should mention. Um, but the, after the second time I took it, you know, I was just exhausted and I did go have some more beer. Um, uh, but I definitely wanted to, to move on to some wine when I got back to San Francisco, the, the test is in Chicago. But then a couple weeks later, I flew to Italy. Uh, my wife and I just had a, a vacation already planned and we flew on Lufthansa to get out there. And, um, I ordered a bunch of Varsteiner uh, beer on the on the plane because you know they, they were serving and I was happy to drink it. Uh, but they served it in the exact same little plastic cups that uh, you do all the blind tasting panels uh, from in the uh, in the master's Cicerone exam. So it was sort of bringing back some some unpleasant uh, stressful memories. Um, but it was it was. It wasn't so bad that I didn't drink it, though. <laughs> yes, I, I, yeah. Hopefully, you found a way to uh, work through that challenge. Yes, I, I pulled through. Yeah. 
Um, so let, let's, so, uh, I want to dive in now. I mean, you, you married, you perfectly married the uh, world of brewing and wine or beer and wine, um, as far as tasting it with your deductive beer tasting method. And, and I'm very familiar with the kind of the tasting method that we've all been taught from BJCP and, and everything else of going through, uh, appearance and aroma and flavor and mouthfeel and overall, um, but tell us, actually, tell us about it, but will you walk us through how yours is? Yours is just really elevates it to a much more detailed level of kind of like watching that movie Psalm where they're they're telling you exactly where this wine was from, when it was made and everything. Tell us about that uh, beer tasting method. Sure, yeah, thanks. Um, so the, the BGCP score sheet is based on uh, five different sensory categories, um, and they, they, the order of the BGCP one is aroma, appearance, uh, taste, mouthfeel, and aftertaste. And within the Cicerone program, it's the same five categories. They actually switch the order of appearance and aroma, so the Cicerone program puts appearance first. Um, either way, it's you know five incredibly important categories to describe a beer, to assess a beer. And you're using uh, four of your senses. You know, you're not really using your ears much, but you do use your, your eyes to assess information, to gather data. Uh, you're using your nose to gather aromatic information, you're using your tongue to gather taste information, and then, you know, your, your mouth and throat and tongue and cheeks and all that to assess uh, the physical impact of the ear, so the mouthfeel of the ear. Um, these categories are the same categories that I use, too, in, in my methodology. However, I break down each of those sensory categories into a variety of different um, different little traits, I call them, or characteristics. And so um, I offer basically a checklist so that you don't forget to assess something about a beer. Now, there are a, a lot of different traits that I include on my, on my grid. It's called the tasting grid or that, that checklist. Um, there are about 45 or so, 46 maybe, so that sounds like a lot. I can already imagine people's eyes rolling when I say it. Um, it's pretty much the same number as what is assessed in the, uh, the sommelier's deductive wine tasting format. So it's the same idea. Um, beginner beer tasters or novice beer tasters uh, are going to have a hard time getting through every single uh, trait on my grid. Um, and I realize, as I mentioned, the grid, uh, people can go to my website to, to find the, the, the grid, too. They can download it for free and access it for free. Um, so it, my website is richhiggins.com and uh, it's slash DBTM for deductive beer tasting method. Um, anyway, so uh, the grid, you know, the novice tasters are going to have a hard time getting through every single one. However, um, at the top of each category are the more easily ascertained uh, traits, things like color and clarity, uh, taste, you know, things like bitterness and sweetness and things like that. Um, more experienced tasters and more advanced tasters are going to want to uh, note the data points on all of the traits. And so as you go further down into each category, further down within aroma, further down within taste and mouthfeel and things like that, um, those are a little bit more, uh, those are a little bit trickier data points to gather. However, um, again, advanced tasters are going to be comfortable doing that. And also, if you're an advanced taster, you're going to want to know all that information in order to make uh, logical deductions about a beer. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the quick breakdown on the, on the grid. Um, and the yeah, thing, a lot of, cu- cu- uh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was going to say that the thing I love about that is, um, you know, as a beginning taster, I would have looked at that and, and just been overwhelmed and thought you got to be kidding me. Um, as you know, coming along in my beer training, everything else, I look at that and realize, okay, this is just a more detailed map of where we're going to go. Um, 
mm-hmm. and I love how it kind of works out almost like an, the way you work it and almost like an algorithm that if you get to the point where you smell and taste um, what could be butter or honey, then you kind of, you then follow the algorithm. Okay. That could be uh diacetyl or that could be an infection in the line. And you have to then find all other clues to help you determine what, it, mm-hmm. what that may be. It, it's almost kind of like working through a, a problem and in, in a mystery and, and, um, and, uh, trying to, uh, give your best educated guess as to what you think is going on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I call those deductive pathways, and those are uh, those are spelled out in my in my book, the companion guide to the deductive tasting method. Um, however, just the grid itself, yeah, it includes a lot of you know kind of data points for for collecting data, collecting dots, and then um, it encourages the the deductions that you have to make you know from all that data, and so that's like connecting all the dots. So the the, the top half or the top two thirds of the grid is uh, collecting the dots, and then the bottom third is connecting the dots. Yeah. And- um, and I oh, think, yeah, cool. and I think I emailed you too that um, I, I've been trying to work through uh, reading your uh, your ebook that you put out there uh, to kind of help explain um, the the grid that you put together and and I, I didn't make it all the way through I I tried to read like mad <laughs> but that, okay. but but that's not a fast read for someone who's mildly curious maybe they can get through it quicker than me but I, I stopped and I was mm-hmm. highlighting and trying to absorb and learn so it, it took me a while and I'm still working on it yeah. But, but well, um, that's that's I, I appreciate it. It's a deep dive, you know. I mean, it's, there's a there's a deep rabbit hole to go down when it comes to beer tasting, and you know, not only as a cicerone, but also you know, as a brewmaster, I've brewed enough beers where I, you know, I I understand how flavor develops, and I understand that sort of mystery, uh, you know, that deductive quality where you need to figure out what is going on in your beer, what's going right, you know, what potentially, you know, what where where there's room for improvement, and things like that. So. Um, yeah, so the companion guide really is, it's a, you know, it's a pretty deep book on not only the tasting method, but also, you know, brewing techniques and how flavor develops. Um, so there's a lot to it, but the grid itself is, is usable by anyone for pretty much any level of beer, uh, you know, beer tasting that they want to do. And I should mention also, it's really for beer tasting. It's not about beer drinking. So beer drinking is the, that's the fun stuff that any of us can do. And, you know, you like to do with friends. Uh, beer tasting is a little bit more, um, you know, focused and you're having a conversation really, just between you and the beer, and uh, it's it's you put on a different uh, different thinking cap when you're when you're doing that. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, agreed, agreed. Um, but you know, I, I do like how you know to to understand how these off flavors develop and to uh, kind of diagnose the the problem with the beer. You kind of have to have a pretty good understanding of the brewing process, um, and and so it can yeah. get very very technical. But the way that you wrote it, it makes it very approachable. So it's. It's kind of like well, reader. It, it's reader friendly, but it 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 dives into the weeds for those who are ready for it. So, yeah, I, yeah, I'm cool, always skeptical cool. of hey, this product is great for beginners and advanced users alike. That's always just BS in my opinion. But <laughs> but this one yeah. this one kind of speaks pretty well to both. I thought. Yeah. Well, cool. I appreciate that. And and you know the the grid itself and the methodology for tasting really has, you know, a handful of different purposes. And one is the deductive purpose, but you can't make deductions about a beer unless, A, you have all the data about the beer, and so that's something you, you, you know, collect during the tasting process. Um, but you also need to have an understanding of, yeah, of brewing, of, you know, how beer ages, you know, are there problems uh, potentially from handling or, or, you know, how the beer was served or something like that. And I shouldn't say problems. We're not only looking for problems, we're looking for all the beautiful things in beer, too. Um, but those, you know, those are those are specialized purposes that are not really going to be uh, useful to every drinker. I think a lot of drinkers are just looking to figure out, you know, hey, what the hell does this beer with it taste like? 
or, you know, how can I describe this beer better? You know, if I'm writing a, a menu either for, you know, for a, a house, you know, dinner party, house party, something like that, or a menu at a, at a bar or a restaurant that you work at, you know, being able to figure out three, four, five, six descriptors that are relevant about the beer and that are potentially, you know, evocative to make people really care about the beer. That, that's stuff that you will develop during the, during the tasting method as, as well, just by writing down all the different aromas and things like that in the beer. And again, that, that checklist that I provide on that grid helps you to make sure that, you know, when you look for uh, aromas, you know, it can help you figure out, oh, I'm smelling fruity aromas. Or within fruity aromas, I'm smelling things like, you know, berries or stone fruit or uh, citrus or tropical fruit or something like that. Like it really kind of holds your hand and walks you along uh, the, the process so you're able to get as, as precise and as accurate, um, you know, the descriptions for beer as possible. And, and with all the time that I've spent um, either – teaching or uh, sharing beer with people in whatever capacity that may be, I, I really try to teach them uh, to not say good beer or bad beer. Um, granted, there are some beers that you've had and that I've had that are clearly awful and uh, deserve to grace the uh, the, the sink. But... Um, but you know, if but but even though uh, beer doesn't uh, appeal to you, uh, I think it's more like I always talk about it as being uh, a specific tool for a specific job. And and you know, drinking this beer for happy hour on a Friday may not be the right beer for you. But if you pair that with this cheese or this food or this situation, then it becomes something mm-hmm. different. Uh, yeah. Or, or, yeah, I agree. And even you know, like diacetyl. I mean, technically that's a fault, but frankly, I like a little diacetyl in my British bitters or my my Czech pills. Um, you know, within reason. So it it doesn't sure. always have to be a bad thing. That's right. And I mean, we enjoy that flavor in other foods. You know, we enjoy butter. You know, cream doesn't smell like diacetyl. It takes a takes a culturing from bacteria to create that aroma. Um, and when that bacteria creates that aroma in in cream or in butter, we enjoy it. If it happens in beer, most of the time we don't enjoy it. But yeah, as you mentioned, certain styles typically will have some of that based on the DNA of their yeast. You know, and so it's it's just part of that thing. And also, you know, a lot of a lot of beer drinkers don't realize, and even a lot of wine drinkers don't realize that there's a lot of diacetyl in a lot of wines too. So you you hear a lot about MLF, malolactic fermentation, mm-hmm. typically occurs in barrels, and almost every red wine is barrel aged and you know some white wines a lot of white wines are barrel aged as well and that will create diacetyl and it's sort of a a hot button topic it's polarizing for you know the buttery chardonnay but if you look for it it's in most red wines too and you don't think about it but it's sort of you know sometimes it's sort of just at threshold but if you look for it a red wine you know while it probably already smells like cherry and you know vanilla and oak and earth and things like that it might also smell like butter you just you know you've been drinking it your whole life. Well, you know since you were twenty one, of course. <laughs> uh, but um, as far as, as far as the police know. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But but and it's funny that you bring that up because you know I'm not a, a wine connoisseur, but uh, that was a um, that diacetyl was like a key distinction of like the classic California Chardonnay and all of its butteriness, and and that was what mm-hmm. people absolutely loved. Um, mm-hmm. and, and and so it's it's these these off flavors or these flavor profiles are not necessarily bad. Um, uh, right, right. You know, like uh, like beers that are exceptionally dry, maybe a little bit uh, harsh and uh, on the on the hop side, maybe a touch astringent. Uh, you stick that with uh, something mm-hmm. like fatty and creamy, then everything just kind of cleans out a little bit or works t- together a little bit better. And so, it, it, yeah. I, and it sounds like you're the same way. Just teaching people that the the whole purpose of this is to go through and taste it, evaluate it, get to know it on a 
deeper uh, level, get to know the beer on a deeper level and truly understand it, and then figure out how can I apply this to something that's very enjoyable to me and my guests. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, beer is, there's a lot of science behind it. There's a lot of psychology behind it for how we taste stuff. And then, you know, underneath all that, you can get to, get to the art. You know, the art of it should really be second because when you're doing tasting, you want to be as objective as possible. You want to just take the data, assess, you know, is this aroma present? Is this taste present? In what quantity? And then from there, then you can put on your, your subjective hat to decide whether you enjoy this flavor or whether other people might enjoy this flavor. Um, you know, we talk a lot about food pairing within beer, but there's also mood pairing as well. So, oh, you know, absolutely. what mood am I in? You know, do I feel like drinking a, you know, a really crisp Pilsner right now? Do I feel like drinking a, you know, kind of sweet, uh, full of body Scotch ale? You know, I mean, there are a lot of different things that, that go into it. It's not just about, um, not just about the science. You need to understand the, the subjective, the opinion age part. However, to form, uh, less, uh, uh, let's put it this way. To be less of a windbag, you want to be able to, to be, to back it up with the objective and the scientific stuff so you understand the source of your opinion. Well, and, and be able to, you know, like you said, uh, um, be able to describe in detail and have a vocabulary that, um, you know, you could throw out a term like acetaldehyde and I would know what you're talking about, but you say that to an average beer drinker and they'll just look at you and blink. Um, but to be able to describe mm-hmm. that in, uh, maybe this is just the writer in me, but to describe that in a little bit more poetic way to to uh, convey the message in in a more experiential way, I, th- I think is also part of the challenge that that we have. Totally. Well, yeah, you need to be able to speak a lot of different languages. You know, as a cicerone, I you know I work to speak the technical language of beer so that I can talk to other brewers about it, um, but also so I can talk to sommeliers about it. You know, like they they discuss things like VA, that's you know volatile acidity. In the world of beer, we talk about ethyl acetate. So ethyl acetate and volatile acidity are the same thing. So neither of those terms, though, is a real friendly term to put on a menu or to talk to the, you know, the media about or just your friends. or You, know, you, you want to be able to use as many different um, languages as necessary to talk about beer so that you can communicate, it about, communicate about it effectively. Um, so, yeah, knowing that acetaldehyde is sort of a green apple aroma is fine, but, you know, uh, being able to talk about it in a way that makes it sound appealing um, can be important. But if you're also, uh, you know, noting that it might be an off flavor in a certain beer, um, you might not want to go into too much detail on it specifically, but know its source. Just say, yeah, this beer's, uh, you know, this beer, I believe, has, uh, you know, Sat, sat around on the store shelf too long or something like that. You know, this is an imported beer. Um, you know, I'm guilty of this all the time. I love German beer, but I live in the United States. So I drink a lot of imported German beer, and half the time it's in good shape, and half the time it's a little long in the tooth. And acetaldehyde is one of the main, main factors I can sense in, uh, in a beer that's a little bit long in the tooth. Hmm. Interesting. Um, so let's tag on to the to the kind of a the similar but next topic. But So you're doing a lot of... Education. I mean, you have the the uh, deductive beer tasting method that you uh, developed, and you're doing a bunch of classes uh, and taking people mm-hmm. on trips and stuff. Is that is that uh, you've effectively carved out a a niche of business using your experiences and training to kind of share that with people? Correct. Yeah, that's that's right. It's stuff I'm you know super excited about doing, and I. You know, I'm happy to build a career around it. You know, I was a brewer for 10 years professionally. Um, you know, not a week went by without some someone coming in saying, hey, I want to work for you. I want to, you know, I'll, I'll, 
I'll shovel, you know, spent grain and stuff like that for free. You know, I just want to get my foot in the door. And then there are a lot of other folks that are in the, the business on the sales side of things. Um, you know, whether they're, uh, you know, they work at, at bars as a bartender or a server or something, or they're just actually just, um, you know, a distributor that's actually just rep, you know, repping beer. Um, these are the sort of the pathways that you can go through uh, in the beer world. And I wanted to see if there was another way. Um, so at this point, I'm trying to develop, you know, another side of, of the industry. So I'm a, a beer consultant where I work with breweries and restaurants, uh, you know, work on things like training and, uh, you know, installing draft systems, designing draft systems, things like that. Um, but I also, you know, want to share the experience of beer with people. And right now beer is popular enough, which I'm thrilled about. And people are wanting to travel to experience it, or they're happy to go to a class as, as something in either professional development, or they're just, you know, it's like beer jutainment, right? You know, a- entertainment around beer. Um, you know, they, they'll come to a class line, which is, which is great. I just finished up San Francisco beer week, uh, last week. And I, I uh, ran nine events in eight days. It was crazy. I just had a ton of different stuff I was doing. And the classes were things like, you know, a draft systems class at Nicolar Bar, where we did a tour of the flux capacitor system in Nicolar Bar. Um, things like that, kind of nerdy, kind of niche, but people really dug it. And, you know, we drank some good beer along the way, and uh, and it's a good time. So, yeah, between my classes, my trips to Belgium and Germany, um, and my, uh, you know, I've got an online uh, video course that's streaming on Vimeo, um, Vimeo.com. Uh, that's a you know a prep course for the Cicerone exam, uh, certified Cicerone exam, I should say. Um, things like that. Yeah, I'm really being able to um, you know make a living doing a lot of stuff that I love. That's not the traditional either manufacturing or selling of of beer. Well, can we dive into a little bit more specifics about the um, about the education you do, and in particular for that certified totally. Cicerone uh, kind of online course? And man, I I wish I had that available when I went through, and and luckily I. I, I managed to pass, um, uh, but yeah, I'm, 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 I'm staring down the barrel of uh, advanced Cicerone uh, testing, and, and there just aren't quite the resources out there yet. And so I, I, I'm trying mm-hmm. to gather all the info that I can. So uh, what? Uh, tell us about this education program you have created for at least the certifieds. Yeah, cool. So I, um, I've taught an in-person uh, certified Cicerone exam prep class. Uh, a number of times in San Francisco when I, when I lived out there and, uh, it grew into a, uh, a five, uh, class course. Um, and each class was about, uh, two and a half to three hours and involved tons of blind tasting of beer. Um, you know, tons of lecture and discussion. Uh, we would do a hands-on draft system, um, you know, set session as well as do a full, uh, four or five course, uh, beer and food pairing dinner. Um, so just super fun class. Super information dense, but also it was a great way to um, to really get the information to be uh, to make total sense as well as be completely absorbable and memorable. Um, so rather than just memorizing facts, it was much more about kind of explaining all this stuff. Um, so I filmed uh, I filmed it the last time I taught it at uh, at Michelob Bar in San Francisco, and I have since then I've edited it, edited it into a ten video uh, series. You know, unfortunately, it lacks the beer tasting uh, stuff. You know, you're not able. You know, if you were to to watch it, you wouldn't be tasting beer with me. Um, and you know, there it doesn't involve all the quizzes and homework and stuff that I used to assign. But instead, it's a much more streamlined course where it's it's nine hours of content and it's all really great stuff that's broken in, into you know various um, sections on the Cicerone syllabus. Things like you know, keeping and serving, where we cover draft systems, cask condition stuff. Uh, you know, cask condition ale service as well as, uh, you know, proper pouring technique and beer glassware and things like that. 
um, into all the different styles, you know, so we cover, you know, Belgian and French, we cover um, German, Czech, Polish, uh, Austrian, stuff like that. Um, and then, you know, it's got all, it's got, you know, food pairing, it's got brewing, uh, you know, ingredients and processes, things like that. Um, and so it's a, it's a great course that I'm thrilled to, thrilled to offer and it's, uh, it's selling pretty well. So I'm happy, you know, as a, from a business standpoint, but I do think that it is uniquely valuable. You know, it's nine hours long and it's $65. So it's, uh, it's the price of a couple books basically. And it's, um, it's a lot more compact and it's taught, you know, it's taught by a master Cicerone for what that's worth. And I'm an industry veteran. I've got a lot of great perspectives on beer and I love to teach about beer. Um, and I think that comes across in the, in the videos, in the classes. Now, this class is obviously uh, geared specifically to people trying to pass their certified Cicerone. Um, is this class valuable valuable to uh, people trying to um, go after advanced or other people who aren't trying to get a designation but just need to learn this for their job for whatever reason? Mm-hmm. You know, I think I think there are a lot of different ways to look at it, a lot of different uh, value propositions there. Certainly, it's built around the certified Cicerone exam syllabus. So that's the format. However, I go pretty deeply into certain stuff, like, you know, mashing, for instance, you know, mashing, uh, uh, sacrification rests and temperatures and enzymes and things like that. And all that really forms a fantastic foundation for understanding beer at any level. Um, and I think that advanced cisterns, you know, I've talked to plenty of certified cisterns who have taken classes of mine or have uh, watched some of the videos and said, like, look, you know, I really wish I had known this stuff when I was going into the test because I didn't have as good a handle on it. Um, as I thought I did. So I do think that the, the classes are valuable to advance uh, Cicerone candidates. Um, however, they, yeah, they don't go as deeply into stuff as um, as is necessary to be fully prepared for the AC exam. Um, they, you know, the, the videos are broken down, as I said, into like hour-long chunks, 45 to 60-minute chunks. Um, and so it's a way for, for people who are not studying for an exam to to learn about draft systems, you know, say you're a bartender and you need to, you need to understand draft systems so you can, you know, watch the, the 45 minute long draft system video. So I've tried to make it useful, um, outside of the Cicerone framework. Um, however, it's, it's definitely designed for the, for the Cicerone exam prep. Um, I'm in the process right now of trying to build out some more, uh, more video content, um, online, both two minute long little beer lessons that would be free on YouTube as well as longer, uh, more academic, um, uh, beer courses that would be, uh, you know, available for purchase on Vimeo. So I look forward to, to getting all that stuff done. Oh, yeah. So do I. Any, yeah, cool. Thanks. Anything <laughs> anything I can do to help you get that done <laughs> for for my own sake, let me know. Um, uh, awesome. Thanks. Uh, I'm, I'm being selfish now, but uh, to continue my selfishness, uh, but I think this will be beneficial for other listeners who are uh, kind of gearing up for advanced Cicerone or, or something else of that nature. Um, are there, uh, since we're on the training subject, um, what resources out there are really geared toward those higher levels above certified? It seems like there's plenty of, uh, th- uh, enough things out there for certified, but now we're talking about advanced for master. Mm-hmm. What, what's available for, for the yeah. group? You know, to, to look at it sort of from a cynical business standpoint, it's just not a huge demographic out there. You know, there aren't that many people that are studying for the advanced or master levels um, for a lot of books to have been written, uh, you know, for a lot of folks to have, have gone down that road to try to, um, you know, tailor specific products to those to those sets of candidates. Um, I think that will change uh, over, you know, over the coming years here. Um, however, at this point, you're right. There aren't a lot of really great silver bullet um, study guides out there. 
Uh, I know that uh, Chris Cohen um, has one, I think, for the advanced uh, Cicerone level. So he's, uh, he runs the, the Beer Scholar uh, Study Guide. So he's a friend of mine from San Francisco. Um, good guy. So that's, that's one uh, opportunity. Um, the rest of it, though, you know, the way I, I talk to folks about, you know, preparing for these uh, higher level exams, you know, it's an exam, so you need to study for it, right? However, to really succeed at this sort of thing, you know, beer really needs to be a huge part of your life and really from an analytical level too, not just enjoying it, but you need to really want to think about it and it needs to take up a lot of your brain space, you know, for several hours a day. And that's the way it is for me. And these tests sort of fell in my lap as far as just sitting within my personality and my, my pursuits. Um, so if you are not a fan of reading, you know, 10 or 15 different, you know, 300 page books, then, you know, it might be a, a, a hard uphill battle to prepare for this exam because those are really the, the main resources that are out there at this point. Beyond that, you've got to make sure you're home brewing um, or brewing professionally. You know, you've got, um, got to get as many reps as possible uh, actually making beer and tasting it at various uh, times throughout its evolution. You know, uh, taste the worts before it's hopped. Taste the wort, you know, once it's been hopped. Taste, uh, you know, beer two days into its fermentation when it's still sweet and awkward. Uh, taste it before being dry hopped, taste it after being dry hopped, you know, taste a lot of bad beer, taste, you know, beer that's been uh, mistreated, you know, uh, uh, purposely buy a case of beer and just let it sit around in your house, you know, let it get, uh, let it get light struck and let it get, you know, store it warm in your, you know, in your, in your kitchen or whatever on top of your cabinets or on top of your fridge or something like that. You just need to learn as much as you possibly can about beer. Um, and unfortunately there's not, as I said, there's not one silver bullet resource out there that, that explains all that stuff at this point. Gotcha. And uh, yeah, there, there are a ton of, uh, ton of books out there. Um, uh, but I, there's someone I spoke to who wasn't advanced Cicerone and, uh, she, uh, kind of suggested that there was some sort of resource out there that would be helpful. I wonder if that was, uh, what you just mentioned, the beer scholar. I'll, I'll have to take a look at that. Yeah, check that out. That, that might be it. That's the only one that I know of. Um, honestly, I didn't ever take the advanced Cicerone test. So, I never had to prepare for it specifically. Um, when I when I took the master exam, it was only a three level uh, Cicerone program. Um, but as far as studying for the master level, um, you know, I, I hinted it really fell into my lap. I have been working professionally in beer for six years. I've been a home brewer for another three or four years prior to that. Um, but so I and I worked at brew pubs, right? So that meant I wasn't only brewing beer, but I was um, training. Uh, you know, the floor staff on, on how to discuss beer, how to talk about beer. And I was working on the draft system, you know, maintaining uh, or make sure that the beers weren't pouring foamy. And I was doing food pairings and events and education and all sorts of stuff like that. I was also traveling to Belgium and Germany and the UK and, you know, trying to get as many uh, experiences as I could in the old world to get to know the old world styles. And I was traveling across the U.S. to study all the you know, not study in sort of in air quotes there, basically just taste and drink and enjoy um, all these regional styles that were coming out and all these new hops. This is, you know, this is the dark ages back in 2003, 2004, you know, before things like New England IPA and all that. But, um, you know, I was trying to study all these regional styles in the U.S. And it was fascinating. I just loved everything about beer and working in the beer industry. And then the Cicerone uh, program uh, you know, was founded by Ray Daniels in 2008, and I started to take a look at the uh, the, the syllabuses and the, the syllabi and the tests and all that, and I said, you know, this this is you know, this is my bread and butter. This is stuff I love. So, you know, I didn't realize that I'd been studying for these exams for you know six years, even before the exams 
wherever you know written in the first place. So sort of like uh, Daniel Sum in Karate Kid. I'm, I'm dating myself here. I'm a, I'm a child of the '80s. Um, so but, am I. Uh, you Keep know, Karate it. Kid. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, he's learning. Uh, you know, apparently, supposedly, amazing karate. Um, you know, without even realizing it, uh, while he's you know painting the fence and waxing the floor. Oh, like that. I was going to say the, all all your painting the fence was going to pay off. You just didn't know how yet. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Exactly. I'm an excellent painter. Yes, <laughs> clearly. Uh, yeah, it was just uh, kind of the uh, the timing uh, in your world was just perfect. But um, so you, uh, mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna leap leap off of this into you just talked about you spend a lot of time uh, traveling to Europe and everything. But of course now you take people along for the ride, um, and that's part sure, of your yeah. business. I mean, tell me about the the beer tours. That's another thing that at some point I would love to uh, get into. So I'm gonna try and steal as oh. much of your uh, business models I can. And, and share with my cool. listeners. They're, they're super fun the way I run them. They're, they're called beer immersions. And the goal uh, is to immerse yourself into the regional subcultures of beer um, that still exist in places like Belgium and Germany. So I've been over those spots a lot. You know, as I studied all those beer styles, I realized that a lot of the reasons that, you know, uh, Kohl's is different from an alt beer and, uh, you know, uh, Bavarian, you know, Southern Bavarian uh Hellas is totally different from, you know, Franconian Keller beer. Uh, you know, a lot of that is based on regionalisms that still are there. You know, there's things like local water chemistry, local hops, um, certainly local yeast and, uh, you know, uh, aging practices in, in Western Belgium that gets you a lot of sour beers and things like that. Um, all these things are fascinating to me, and the beers are part of the reason that these, these regions are different, and they're also the symptoms of the differences in all these regions too. So the different cultures, the different foods that they like to eat, um, the different weather they have, all this stuff. So I love to go out there and experience all that. And I decided, Hey, why don't I turn this into a business? Cause I'd love to share this with, a, with other people. Um, so my version of this though is not really travel. I'm not a travel operator. I'm a tour operator. So I don't, um, you know, I don't uh, sell people plane tickets and hotels and all that stuff. Um, I want people to come over on their own and meet me over in Brussels or Antwerp or, uh, you know, Regensburg or Bamberg, Munich, places like that. Um, and so far that that's working, you know, basically I'm a beer guy. I don't want to be on the take on, you know, your, your plane tickets over, over the Atlantic and all that stuff. I want you to do that on your own. I'm happy, you know, as a seasoned traveler, I'm very happy to offer, um, suggestions and tips for, for flight itineraries and hotels and all that. But if you want to stay at an Airbnb, save some cash, do it. If you want to stay at a five, you know, five star, uh, whatever Hilton or Four Seasons or whatever, you can do that. Uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not telling you how to travel. Uh, but why don't you meet me um, at lunchtime on day one in Brussels, and you're mine until uh, after dinner, and then uh, we'll meet again for a second day, and then we're done with Brussels. So it's just a quick two day thing in each of these cities, and you can mix and match them however you want. Meet me in Brussels, or meet me in Brussels and Antwerp, or just Antwerp, or Kelowna, Dusseldorf, and not Munich. You know, whatever you want to do, mix and match all these cities. Um, and uh, and yeah, as I said, uh, we do lunch and dinner and a whole bunch of uh, uh, brewery and bar visits uh, during the during the afternoon. Um, all of it is geared toward visiting the breweries that make uh, the beers that make these regions special. Meeting with brewmasters, tasting beers out of tanks. Um, and then going to the restaurants and pubs that have been serving these beers uh, for centuries. Um, but there's also a lot of craft beer going on right now, a lot of new new breweries and new styles of beer that are coming out in uh, in Belgium and Germany. And so we definitely kind of take a take a taste of some of the um, some of the craft beer that's coming out as well. 
Um, so yeah, just super, super fun. You know, you can take it as seriously as you want and grill me on nerdy beer stuff, uh, the whole time, or we can just, uh, sit back, relax, enjoy good food and good beer. Um, I also speak, uh, German and French, so I do a lot of translation when I'm out there. Um, and fortunately everyone in uh, Flanders, uh, speaks English, so <laughs> I don't have to, I don't have to know, uh, much Flemish or Dutch. Well, and, but you can translate, uh, beeries into English as well for, for those, uh, yeah. who are non-technical <laughs> beer drinkers. Um, exactly. Yeah. But, uh, and I did want to ask you about, so, I mean, you, you spent, as you said, you spent a lot of time going to, uh, study the old world of brewing and now taking people to learn about the old world of brewing. But the old world mm-hmm. is now really starting to collide with the uh, kind of the new world. And what has been your experience? Without, without a doubt. Uh, I mean, what has been your experience with, uh, I've, I've, I've had the opportunity to speak with, the. Uh, different people in Europe. And of course you still have these, these old styles from Cantillon and Hofbrau and, uh, and Weinstefan, but, but now everyone's trying to brew a West coast IPA. What, mm-hmm, how, totally. how is that collision actually playing out in these old world areas? You know, I don't find that there's a lot of, um, crossover, uh, among the actual breweries that are making this stuff. A lot of breweries are craft breweries. They're new. They're typically run by younger folks. Um, and they are just trying to brew everything that tastes totally different from what they grew up on, what the parents drink. And so in that vein, it's just like, you know, craft beer in the U.S. Uh, 20 years ago. You know, when, when craft beer started in the 80s and 90s and even into the 2000s, there was so much just let's do whatever we can to make this stuff taste different than quote-unquote American beer. Nowadays, craft beer is such a huge part of American beer that um, that sort of uh, reaction isn't as uh, isn't as you know all encompassing anymore. It's more just like, hey, let's how do we further the quality and the innovation within American beer? Um, and so that's why you're starting to see you know a lot of a lot of great craft breweries you know turn back to older styles of beer like you know lagers and pilsners and things like that um, in the U.S. I'm excited to see that. But to to your question over in Europe. You got the craft brewers, and then you got the old traditional brewers. And a lot of the old traditional brewers are, well, there are two different types. One way to look at it is the OG craft brewers that, you know, sure, uh, the brewery is 200 years old, but they, they brew beer with incredible uh, passion. They don't cut corners and they use expensive ingredients and make this stuff just taste absolutely delicious, um, but it's a, a very classic style. Then you also have a lot of old school brewers that, um, are now owned by you know, large brewing conglomerates. Um, they're really trying to make their beer as efficiently as possible and sell it across the world and things like that. So they do sort of cut corners here and there. Um, so it's sort of my goal to find a lot of um, sort of suss out who's doing the best stuff within the old styles um, and then also figure out among the craft brewers who, who's doing good stuff. Because, again, craft beer, you know, it's, it's – a pretty young industry over there and there's a lot of issues with quality um there's a lot of irrational exuberance and a lot of fun beers that are being produced but they're not always the the tastiest so i like to figure out which ones of those are ones that i think are representative of good flavor as well as interesting takes on it from a european standpoint and um you know which ones we would want to actually go drink on a beer immersion but it you know so far if tradition and innovation are coexisting uh it, it seems like what a great place to get both oh totally <laughs> yeah exactly you know in the u.s we have the the technical know-how and the passion for all this stuff but there's just not a lot of traditional you know american beer styles that 
that are relevant. Uh, you know, I mean, certainly something like California Common, aka Steam Beer, or uh, you know, or a, a Cream Ale or something. Those are some of the, or maybe a pre-prohibition lager. You know, those are some of the only American styles of beer. Um, the rest of American beer history pre-craft beer is really about brewing European beer styles, mm-hmm. and um, and so yeah, we just don't have that history and that local flavor, that local character. Um, but I think there's a lot of innovation coming out of craft breweries in the United States where they are trying to experiment with creating something local, um, you know, either using local ingredients or, uh, you know, local, um, well, yeah, typically local ingredients w- would be the way to do that. So it's it's fun to see this stuff come out. But again, there's not a long track record of it in the U.S. So it's nice to go over to Europe to taste that track record. Yeah, what what a what a great experience that would be. Um, and so at the very end, then I want to make sure that we give people the the ways to connect with you and and how to go on these trips yeah, and, and everything else. So, um, but for now, um, I kind of want to dive into kind of like a final question round and and uh, and kind of be respectful of your time. But we'll we'll finish up with some like final little stuff. But um, uh, but great. you know, if you had the if well, if you could be the beer king of the world for a day, Rich. What would you what would you change? Oh, uh, what would I change? You know, I think the idea that beer is one thing is what I would change. You know, so you know if you're if you're in the craft beer world or you're you know you're obsessed with beer flavor and all that, you understand that there's no one thing as you know one thing such as beer. However, I think. So many people nowadays still think that beer is just one thing, and they either loved it the first time they had it, or they didn't like it the first time they had it. And so they just, um, you know, they they go through the beer world with blind, with blinders on, uh, which is which is too bad. So I'd like to see beer's diversity uh, be showcased a little bit more. Um, so yeah, that's that's the main thing I would want to I would want to focus on. Uh, and to your point, I think some of the comments that I have heard uh, numerous times that drive me up the wall is uh, something to the effect of that's what beer tastes like, uh, or uh, yeah. <laughs> or I'm going to grab this because this beer is safe, you know, something along those lines. Uh-huh, uh-huh, totally. I right. um, now, if you had the opportunity to choose uh, your very last meal and your very last beer before you depart the earth, what would they be? Oh, God. It's going to be a long meal. <laughs> it's be a lot of stuff <laughs> I want to eat and drink. Um, you know, I... One of my emotional um, kind of desert islandy beers and pairings that I like to talk about is the first one that I had that really woke me up. And I just like, I took a bite of this food. I took a, a sip of the beer. I was like, holy crap, this is, this is new. This is, this is deeper than anything I could ever expect. And so I call my Eureka moment. And this was back in 2003, I think it was, right as I was trying to get into the professional beer industry, I had a bottle of, uh, old stock ale from North Coast Brewing Company. Mm. Um, just a delicious, delicious. You know, basically a barley wine. Um, slight, slight differences from a barley wine, but in general, this beer is you know ruby in color and uh, kind of unctuous in body, and it just has really incredible aromas of you know like dark red fruit and caramel and toffee, and uh, you can smell the alcohol. Um, so it gives it sort of a nice uh, kind of a brandyish or cognac aroma. Um, just really incredible beer, and I had it with um, a really ripe uh, red pear uh, that I sliced up into like big fat kind of like steak fries. They look like only uh, made made from this red pear, um, and cracked uh, some some fresh cracked black pepper over it, and uh, just it was divine together. And I was like, wow, this is this is going to be the rest of my life. This is going to be the rest of my my career. So yeah, I think my meal, this last meal, would have to end with uh, with 
with that beer and uh, with a nice pear with um, with black pepper on it. Yeah. Well, what and what a great pairing, and I absolutely love that beer. I, I seek it out whenever I can, just just to go back to it. That that what a great uh, gateway beer that was. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, it changed my life. Yeah. Um, so th- you have quite a bit of experience in the beer world. That's uh, uh, probably probably well, it's very unique, and and uh, no one else can match it. Um, with all of your experience, in your opinion, why does good beer matter? Good beer matters because it is an enjoyable experience to drink good beer out of a glass. And within that glass is art and science and history, culture. Uh, you know, it's just such a transportative um, beverage that when you're drinking beer that, you know, isn't good beer. I'm not going to define good beer or bad beer, but if it's not uh, been treated well, or if it's not, um, you know, if, if the beer is uh, is cut in corners somehow, then it's not able to take you back in time, or it's not able to make you think about um, the science and the art and the culture that has created that beer. Great. I, I feel the same way. That was part of uh, uh, what made me get into it, and that's really what... Um that documentary song that we talked about earlier, uh, that, mm-hmm. that basically, uh, was a key to help me unlock the door to the world of beer. It just took a, a profound dive into that wine world to really see the beer world for what it truly was. And, and, uh, and like, like you, I was like, okay, this is what we're doing. Let's go get it done. Yeah. <laughs> Great. I love it. Um, okay, so now, uh, uh, for those who want to take your classes or to connect with you or go on a trip um, or learn more from from your experience and, and knowledge, how can they connect with you? Yeah, awesome. So my website is really the, the kind of the clearinghouse for all this stuff. So richhiggins.com, R-I-C-H-H-I-G-G-I-N-S.com. Um, I maintain my own website. It's the best website of 2013. It's kind of clunky and not the not the uh, the newest website, but it does have all the information on there. Um, so it's got uh, my beer immersions. Um, it's got my uh, deductive beer tasting method on there. It's got my uh, my uh, online video prep course for the certified case loan exam. Um, what else? It's got uh, it's got my podcast. I got a new podcast out that's called Liquid Bread. Um, I look forward to uh, to plugging Good Beer Matters on the, on my next uh, podcast recording for that. Oh, um, so I've got, uh, yeah, oh, it's got all my events and classes on there, too, my in-person classes. Um, I do classes uh, and tastings really all over the world at this point. Um, last year, uh, yeah, in the past year, I've done stuff in Seoul, um, in London, in Bristol, in Manchester, all over the U.K., but also Belgium and Germany, um, uh, New York, Dallas, Portland, San Francisco. Um, you know, I've got stuff coming up in Nashville this year for the, uh, the homebrew, uh, National Homebrewers Conference. So yeah, I'm all over, all over the country, all over the world at this point, talking about beer and offering tastings and classes. So yeah, you can follow all that stuff on my website as well as follow me on uh, Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Um, Multi Rich is my handle at Multi Rich, which is great. And and I, I will say this too, I, I did listen to 
you know, you've only, I think you only have, as of this recording, I think there's only a couple episodes of uh, Liquid Bread so far, but... Yep, um, only two so far, yep. But, but diving into that first one, I figured, you know, I, I want to give this a listen because I'm interested in this and you know, I'm going to interview this guy and, and you know, I, I could always uh, learn more about beer, like like we said. And I found myself, I had to stop and rewind and go back because, you know, I've, I'm trying to get other things done while I passively listen to the stuff. But you were laying down <laughs> yeah. some, like, serious knowledge on Pilsners. And I was thinking, wait, 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 what did he just say? Go back a whole minute and, like, okay, get in. And then, and, <laughs> awesome. then I, awesome. and then I lose my train of thought and I'm trying to get stuff done again. No, but i got to go back. So I think mm-hmm. I had to listen to that thing at least a few times over just to make sure I gathered all the knowledge that you were sharing in that one episode. So thank you for awesome. putting out well, a podcast. I, that's cool. Yeah, that's great. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate it. We're trying to make it casual and fun, but there is a lot of serious uh, serious science that's – or not science, but serious, you know, your knowledge that's, that's going on there too. So it's a, it's a fun podcast. Yes, you guys are um, very yeah, – I'm excited about it. We got, we got two episodes so far. We're doing it every, uh, every two weeks. A uh, new episode will be coming out. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I'm excited to join the, uh, the wider world of, of good, uh, of good beer podcasts of which, um, you know, good beer matters is, is one of them for sure. So well, I appreciate that on a, on a great podcast. Uh, you know, and, and, uh, and I've tried to listen to as many, uh, especially beer podcasts as I can. And I, I grow a little weary of just the talking heads where, where they're, where they're just a bunch of, you know, people drinking and trying to laugh and tell an inside joke that the listener doesn't, is not really in on. Um, so I really yeah. gravitate toward those podcasts that really have an interesting interview, an interesting perspective, um, and something to learn, something to share, a good story. Um, uh, yours is is one of my favorites now, and uh, uh, Drink Beer, Think Beer oh. by John Hall is also an excellent one. Um, oh yeah, nice. And 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 uh, and so I've still got a few uh, to explore, and that's definitely not all inclusive. But there's there's some good uh, knowledge to be uh, shared out there for sure. And so thank you for adding yeah, to right. the con- to the conversation. Yeah, cool. Happy, happy to be part of it. So, yeah, thanks. Uh, so, uh, last thing is, uh, do you have any anything you want to add? Any final words of wisdom? Oh, uh, just love beer. <laughs> if you if you think you figured out what's going on in the glass, you're not done. There's there's more to know. There's more to, to dive into about that beer, and whether it means you got to go to Europe with with me, or just go to Europe on your own, or go somewhere else in the world to figure out how they're brewing beer differently. You know, Japan's got a fun brewing scene right now, Brazil, Peru. Um, you know, there's just interesting beer everywhere. Um, and that glass can take you all those different places. So, yeah, just keep diving into that glass, and you're going to find more and more uh, that's going on in that beer. Wonderful. Thank you, Rich, so much for coming on to this podcast and sharing your knowledge. And uh, I, I look forward to uh, meeting you in person and actually having a beer. Yeah, it sounds great, Jeremy. Cheers. I look forward to that. All right. Thank you again. Take care. All right. Yeah, thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Learning how to really taste beer, to explore its depths, to find the connections and draw conclusions about how and with what it was made is an arduous journey. But for those who are willing to put in the work, the rewards can be exponential. Luckily, we have people like Rich Higgins to guide our way. Join us in the next episode where we visit with a brewery consultant and learn what new breweries really ought to know before they start. Good Beer Matters is a show about great beer, great friends, and the experiences we create together. But it's also about better appreciation of the beer you enjoy. I believe better education leads to better enjoyment. So if you're a beer and food professional or even a beer enthusiast, then please subscribe to Good Beer Matters and visit me at goodbeermatters.net. After that, grab a beer, hang out with friends, and let the world open up. 
Thank you for listening. Cheers. Cheers.